This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Tim Ayliff, welcome to Better Reading. Great to be here, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. I think this conversation is long overdue, Tim. Why haven't we done this before? I, I don't. I don't know. But look, we've caught up. You know, we've caught up. Various yeah. festivals and things, and it's always lovely chatting to you. So, but look, I listen to this podcast a lot. Um, yeah, I'm a fan, and uh, it's yeah, it's great to be on it. Well, do you know what I say to my friends? If I don't get an email from Tim Ayliff about the podcast, then it's not a good podcast. <laughs> do you know, I'll, I'll take that. I, I um, You know, it's funny. Writing can be quite a lonely existence. So I've actually sought out, you know, podcasts, particularly yours, for a bit of company, you know, because there's a lot of like, shared problems that writers go through. So yeah. it's really nice to hear people talk about it and how they solve it and and also just to talk about the writing process. It, it really, it's a, it's a real comfort, to be honest. Well, do you know what I've discovered too? Because, you know, as you know, Tim, I'm not a writer, but I feel that I'm very experienced in guiding writers because I've interviewed, I think, probably over 300 now. But each experience is so individual and so different. Never, you know, no two stories are the same, really. No, and, and I think no writing process is the same either. And that that's the good thing. You know, I don't think I go looking to, you know, hear how writers do it so that I can emulate them. Sure, you might pick up some little tips, but it's almost a reassurance that, mm. yeah, this is a bit tough, but it's supposed to be tough because mm. writing, good writing takes time and good, good plots that surprise readers, you know, take time to plan. So in a way, that that's one of the reasons that I, really like listening to interviews with other writers because, yeah, it's it sort of, it's a, I don't know, it's a friendly conversation, that, you know, that you get to hear. Mm. Do you know, I think, you know, there are all often forums for CEOs to get together or CFOs or, you know, all sorts of occupations. People kind of get together on some kind of professional level. But for authors, I think it's a bit harder because it is a solitary um, occupation. And it, it, uh, Yeah, no, it is. It is. Sorry to interrupt you there, but um, I'll let you in on a little secret that, that, and you wouldn't be surprised by this, but lots of writers, you know, reach out to each other and sort of talk behind the scenes. And, and in fact, um, there's a little group of, you know, Sydney writers that we catch up occasionally now and, and we, we talk to each other. It's uh, Candice Fox and me and um, Andy Muir, Lorraine Peck's now on board as well. She spends a bit of time in Sydney. So we, we really like to, you know, talk about the industry, talk about what we're doing because, it's a funny thing to say, but unless you're a writer, you don't know in a way what writers go through to, to get a, a manuscript together. Oh, um, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I almost think you guys are crazy 
you know, in a way that you've chosen an occupation that is so difficult. I mean, you produce beautiful work and, you know, we love it for the reader. It is, we're so lucky that you are that way. But it is such a tough gig, I think. I think we do it because we love it though. Mm. You know, look, it's, it is really hard, but it should be. There are so many great writers out there that, you know, aren't in the privileged position that I'm in, that I'm, you know, being published. There are so many good writers that books, they may never be published, but they do it because they love it. Like Mm. it's an extension of themselves in a way. That's what writing is. And you do it because first and foremost, you love it and you Mm. wouldn't do it if you didn't, because it is a huge undertaking and it's a sacrifice that you make, but also your family makes too. I mean, you do this together. Mm. Um, I don't know if I've told you this. I've said it a couple of times on the podcast, but I was lucky enough to interview Lee Child a few years back in person back in the day. And I don't know what book number he's up to, but, you know, 20, 30, I don't know, a lot. And he said that it is still equally difficult to start. Like even after that many years experience, he sits down to write his next book and it is as hard as it was to start the first. I can completely identify with that. But Again, I think it should be because yeah. that you owe the reader that. You owe the reader to write a better book every time you sit down to write it. Mm-hmm. And also plotting, you know, I, I just wrote this little thing about writer's block. I don't get writer's block. I can sit and write. There's no problem. What I do get is plot block. Mm-hmm. And that, again, is not surprising because you really need to plan out a good story. Um, some Some writers like to just... Um, freewheel and it comes to them. I don't have the luxury of time to be able to do that in a way. I've got a busy day job. I write on weekends, but that planning and plotting it out, that takes a lot of time. And that's that's something that I really want to nail because I owe it to the reader to give them an adventure at the same time. I want to surprise them with twists and turns they don't see coming. Mm. Okay. Now, do you know what I've just noticed, uh, Tim, that I haven't introduced you formally just because I know you, we just got talking. <laughs> Tim is a writer. <laughs> and a journalist with over 20 years' experience and is managing editor of television and video for ABC News. His two previous books, The Greater Good and State of Fear, were well-loved, I mean truly loved, by uh, the better reading community. So he's got a new book out. It's called The Enemy Within, sees the return of former war correspondent John Bailey to investigate the rise of global white supremacist group. Um, It's so timely it's so timely, but I guess you're in news and that impacts your work, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, my, my day job is like research, but I was always interested in writing crime thrillers set in the real world because I think the best, the best writing often tells us something about our lives. So you can only really go to the, the, the truth of what's happening in the world um, to be able to do that well. My day job's like research, as I said, um, I always try to chip off a big issue with 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 my books. With the first book, it was Australia caught in the middle of the US-China power struggle. The second book was about Islamic terrorism um, and the way that impacts, you know, the communities that are blamed for harbouring terrorists, but also that threat in our lives, that, that constant sort of drumbeat of fear that was there for so long. And this new book, the rise of far-right nationalism and, and white supremacists, that is something we're living through right now. We've seen political leaders around the world. There is about more than half a dozen countries being run by far-right nationalist leaders right now. Um, they prey on that sense of, I guess, aggressive nationalism 
and an insular way of leading and thinking that ends up being a, I, I guess, a safe place for white supremacists to feel that their views are okay. I'm not saying far-right nationalists are white supremacists, but I'm saying that it is a hop and a skip from that place to a much darker place, which is white supremacy. Um, I, want to, I want to interrupt you there and I want to talk about this, that one, I've watched the excellent Four Corners report on Fox News by Sarah Ferguson. It's I think it should be compulsory viewing for everybody uh, in terms of how we're kind of brainwashed by different media outlets and whether, you know, if the truth starts to disappear, then what, 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 what have we got? What's left? There's that. I want to talk about the AFP raids on the ABC that happened in 2019. But before I get there, I just want to touch firsthand on how quickly leadership gives people permission to act the way that they do. Do you know when Trump came in, what year was that now? When he was 2016. 2016. Yeah. I was with my mother, who at the time probably was 80, a Lebanese Australian woman, and I was in Glebe. We were parking the car, and this woman, and I was with my two great nephews, who were, I don't know, maybe five and seven at the time, and this woman came up to us. He'd been, he'd probably been president now for maybe a year. So maybe this was 2017. And she said to us, Go back to your own country. Jesus. And I thought, wow, that's mm. that's racism with a vengeance because she's now being given permission to mm. be a hater. Well, that, and that's what is most worrying about that kind of leadership because really it's it's lazy populist leadership. It gives people permission to feel a certain way rather than know it. It's like social media in the way that it's 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 a place where conspiracy theorists thrive because they go looking for like-minded people to agree with something that they feel. It may not be right. It may not be factual, but they want someone there to tell them that's okay. And I think Trump in a way was, he was the false messiah for a disaffected populace. There was a, you know, the, the, the gulf between rich and poor is growing. We know that it's happening all around the world. Um, and he came in, the billionaire who, you know, allegedly doesn't pay his taxes and said he was going to be there to stand up for the little guy. And in America, the little guy believed him. I mean, I, it, had we not had been in the middle of a global pandemic, I'm pretty sure that Americans would have voted him back in. But hang on a second, Tim. Yes, they believed him, but there mm. were tools. I think Fox News is accountable for that. They actually... You know, this is where media comes in, and you know this better than everybody else. They yep. started feeding people lies. And is this the first time that we've had lies being told through media on such a mass level, or is this just the first time that it's had such an incredible impact? I think that the media um, has become, in, in many ways, or throughout that period, I think it's possibly improving again because there's more responsibility being taken. But there was a sort of ungovernable period for the media whereby they chased profits. I mean, I know in the election campaign, the 2016 election campaign, a, a big media boss of a, a, a big, you know, responsible company in America came out and said, Donald Trump may not be good for America, but he's great for our bottom line. Because he was this. Yeah, wow. I mean, yeah, he was wow. this. Yeah, yeah. He was this entertaining leader because he was the anti-politician politician. He was the guy that was going to do things differently. 
So a lot of media gave him a free pass on that. So he got to stand up and speak to a mass audience through not just social media, and I've talked about social media being a problem, but through television channels, you know, responsible media sources, giving him 40 minutes to do a stump speech where he riffed and made up and said whatever he wanted. Tens of thousands of lies over the last mm. four years of his presidency. Although he still hasn't conceded to losing the election and people genuinely believe him. And now he's out there still, and this is coming from Four Corners, he's still mm. out there feeding people, feeding these people the same lies. And so unless he wins, then it's not going to be rigged. <laughs> Yeah, you I know, mean, there's so, that big lawsuit going on. So let, let's yeah. see how, how, how that goes. Oh, gosh, I hope but. that goes in the right direction. And I, <laughs> I'm astounded that he hasn't ended up in prison. Okay, I want to go on to the AFP and what's happening mm. in this country. Now, let me give you a little um, historical view, uh, and <laughs> it's my own opinions. Yep. I feel that in this country, and we've probably spoken about this, Tim, I feel that hatred started with John Howard. He managed to use hatred as a really, really sharp political tool, right? And then, you know, then came whatever came afterwards and then came Trump and then conservatism in a way became crazy. I mean, I think um, Tony Abbott was kind of almost Trump-like in in so many ways, completely off the rails. And I think Scott Morrison's not far off. And I know you probably can't comment on that. But it seems to be that conservatism has gone in a direction that is really full of hatred, if you like. And this is why we're getting all QAnon, conspiracy theorists, Hillsong, all this kind of stuff happening. Yeah, look, I mean, steering clear of the politics, to be honest, yeah. because, look, yep. the ABC, our, our job is to be reporting facts and, yes. and, and sticking, you know, straight down the line. But what I would say in response to that, though, is that any politician who chooses to simplify a message to the point where the facts don't necessarily matter as much is a problem. So that is a problem for all sides of politics, I would say. Definitely. Um, whereby you know, slogans or the things that are access points for people to understand or to believe a message or to vote for a certain side of politics, so those populist sort of slogans can be dangerous. And whether that is what maybe what you were alluding to before with stopping the boats um, things like that. The issues are so much more complicated, so much more complicated. And one of the things that I've tried to do, just talking about my day job a little bit over the last couple of years, and what I've learned from you know this period working through that sort of Trump, this post-truth world, if you like, is we've got to slow down the news cycle. And that's something we've really tried to do throughout the pandemic as well. Slow things down, remind people of the facts over and over and over again, because if you try, if you fall for the trap of the daily spin cycle or or trying to cover particularly politics, but news as it's moving really fast by the people who are talking about the news, so those that are gifted the microphones, then you're likely to get yourself into trouble and you're not doing a good job for viewers, readers, listeners out there who actually just want to know what's going on and why. So that's one of the things that I've tried to do, but I believe in because I've seen the last four years particularly worrying, not just in America, in Australia and other places where people, it's, 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 it's a, it's a massive problem. Mm -hmm. And look, you know, going back to the things I'm talking about in the book, white supremacists, you know, they feed off that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, as well. 
I mean, these are people that sitting in little dark rooms in their parents' house or in wherever they're living in suburban Australia, uh, they go looking on the dark web, on the internet for people with like-minded opinions who like these very simple solutions to complex problems. They could be sitting in a little dark room in Texas or in Oslo or in you know, other parts of the world and they find someone to agree with, they feel like they're part of something bigger. That thing isn't actually bigger, but it is united, you know, what was three people now to become 300 people around the world. They feel like they're part of a bigger movement. And that's where I think um, you see the kind of rise of this sort of radical thinking and it given possibly too much prominence. However, in terms of white supremacists, I was near, I was well into writing this book and the new boss of ASIO, Mike Burgess, gave this speech and he called out the threat of white supremacists in Australia as one of the key new threats that we were facing. And this is about 18 months ago and they were diverting more resources to, to um, deal with the problem. And you've seen some of the great reporting that's been done by NASA, the ABC, but Nick McKenzie and Joel Tozer at um, nine newspapers in 60 Minutes over the last few weeks looking at the fact that the, these groups are out there and they're getting organised. And that, that's what worried me and that's why I decided that, you know, in seeing that earlier as well, that that was one of the reasons that I wanted to dive into this, this, this dark side of our lives. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So I want to talk about the raids going back to 2019. Mm. Again, I feel that conservative politics doesn't like criticism. Now, Tim, you don't have to respond to the political side of this, but I can't help myself. Talk to me about that raid. I know you you reference it in your book. And I sometimes think that the average Australian or the average person doesn't understand how important it is that we stand against acts like that, how really it is detrimental to a d- democracy. So when I reference in the book, actually, I've grabbed the whole sort of idea that this could happen and used it in the John Bailey thriller. I mean, I've written a crime thriller. John Bailey is the target of the AFP raids in the book. But talking about what happened to the ABC, so I was sitting at my desk, someone ran over and said, hey, the AFP are in the building. So what do you mean? So they're they're raiding us. And suddenly we became the story. So they raided the ABC searching for the source of a story about alleged um, war crimes committed by, or human rights violations by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan a few years earlier by two great journalists, Sam Clark and Dan Oakes. They were looking for the source of that story, the whistleblower that went to those guys for that story. 
we obviously, you know, like journalists all around the world, you, you don't give up your sources and on important stories. Um, the, a- the AFP spent all day from in the morning right into very late afternoon, early evening, searching for that source. They Can had I just a stop warrant. you yeah. there, Tim? Has yeah, that yeah. happened before in your career? Not not a raid on on a workplace like that, no. I mean, it, it had happened a little bit of uh, weeks or months earlier to um, yes. News Corp journalist Annika Smithhurst yeah. as well. Um, so, what was most worrying about the fact that the raid was happening? That was really worrying. The warrant that was used to raid the ABC that day had a line in it that was incredibly disturbing. It gave the Australian Federal Police the power to add, copy, delete, or alter our files in the in in the course of their search at the ABC. So suddenly we were faced with this, hang on a minute, we've got police in the building going through our files. They can add, copy, delete or alter them while they're chasing something that they want from us. I found that really disturbing um, and that's why I wanted to explore it in, in, in a crime thriller because I don't believe that there are bad eggs within the AFP that would misuse that power. Oh, we don't have any proof of that. I'm not suggesting that. What I am concerned about is that that power, which was signed off by a district court judge, was gifted to them, that that existed for them to be able to do that. So in a crime thriller like the one I've just written, John Bailey, investigative journalist, uh, he has done in, dug into some dark places to tell some important stories in the, in the, in the, in the world that I've you know created for him. The AFP was searching for a source um, and they've got that power. So that's something that I wanted to explore um, to see, well, that power can be abused and what better, better way to explore that than in a crime thriller. Yeah, okay. I, I just want to backtrack a little bit. Mm. It scared the bejeebus out of me. I couldn't mm. believe that it was happening. But also too, again, I'm going to go into politics. Every time we get a conservative government, all they want to do, the first thing is Medicare. They want to decimate Medicare always. You know, they start slashing health um, they always slash, you know, some education and they always, always go the ABC. Sometimes I think it's because we're we're doing too good a job. I mean, we'll just right. keep, we put our heads down and we just keep trying to report things accurately, factually, not take sides. I mean, that's all that we can do. If we're doing our job too well, sometimes that, that's going to provoke, you know, some the ire of someone. Look, we don't always get it 100% right. We, we try to. But I'm not going to pretend for a second that we're absolutely perfect. We're not. I mean, we're fallible human beings in a in an organisation that's you know doing its its best to just to uh, to report good journalism and tell Australian stories. We don't always get it right, but we we don't ever actively go out there with a um, on a some crusade. Never. How many times has the Prime Minister been on an ABC news documentary, news channel, whatever? Has he ever appeared in the time that you've been there? As prime minister, yeah, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't. He was on insight the other day. I, I feel as though, well, I'm going. My question there is that he avoids the ABC. I don't know. I, look, we're at the media conferences that he's giving. There'll be national cabinet media conferences Friday. A political editor, Andrew Proven, will be there asking questions. I mean, we 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 um we talk to the prime minister. I'm not necessarily worried about sort of access, we, 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 we get the opportunities to ask the questions. We can put those questions to his office as well. Um, Are you worried about the ABC, the future of the ABC? I'm only worried when 
um, the ABC becomes a political football. I don't like that. Um, because as I say, it's, it's such, I, I've worked at the ABC for 15 years. Um, I worked for, you know, Murdoch in London for Sky News before that. I didn't feel pressured to report a story a certain way when I was working for Sky News over there. Yeah. Um, there are, of course, I think not, times have changed there though. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, look, I think the whole Fox News experience in, in America, I mean, that's, it's a whole different ball game, but, um, there is, we, I didn't feel that at, um, at Sky when I was there, but this is in the early 2000s. So do I worry about the future of the ABC? Um, I think that the ABC is such an important cultural institution that the Australian people want it and need it. And whenever it comes, whenever that sort of question ever gets floated with the Australian media, they come down very, very, you know, forcefully in favour of, of what we do at the ABC. And I'd also say that the ABC is the top of the list of the most trusted news organisations in, 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 in the country. Um, oh, for absolutely. a reason. Is that who who was it that said thank God for the ABC? Was that said by someone famous or it's just something that I've remembered? Probably my parents. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Okay, so I want to just like so you've got a day job, you've yeah. got a family, and you're up to your third fiction book. Writing my fourth. And you're writing your fourth. Okay. So how do you juggle all of that? Through, you talk, is your wife talking to you, for instance? Yeah, yeah, she she talks to me. <laughs> look, look in the um in the beginning, the book, my, particularly my first book, that yeah. that was that was tough on on all of us. And if I turned back the clock, I would have written that book probably in a different way back then. To be honest, now I have I've sort of I've, I've settled on a a routine really that doesn't impact our lives as, as much. I mean, I write, I get up at five a.m on Saturday and Sunday morning and I'll write for anywhere between three and five hours uh, when, you know, my kids and my wife are having sleep-ins or doing other things. So it doesn't necessarily impact our lives as much. Um, it did, as I said, in the beginning, but now I've just sort of, I've removed it a bit. I don't, I don't do really anything during the week anymore. I might read over some stuff that I've written at the weekend, but I've got a busy day job. I, I'm consuming news before seven trying to get across the day, preparing for our morning editorial meetings when we will um, look to be looking at all the key stories we're covering, covering on that day. And I need to be a voice in that room. You know, I need to be supporting my teams and and also being, you know, ready to, to be able to contribute, as I say. So I love my day job. It is like research for me, but it is my focus during the week. And then I get to disappear into this amazing little world that I've created with John Bailey on the weekends. And I find it, utterly relaxing, um, even though I sort of started this interview with you saying it's tough. It is tough, but it should oh, yeah. be. But I really, I really love it. I I find it something that I, it's just something that I get to do by myself, mm. um, escape into my mind and, and, and relax and write and think and spend a bit of time with Bailey and Ronnie Johnson and, and Gerald and the characters I've created. Annie Brooks. Uh, <laughs> now, because we got, uh, well, but not we, I got a little bit sidetracked with politics and yeah. current affairs. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't ask how you came to writing. So just to, to end, because we've got yeah. to end soon. So you had a career in journalism, but had you always wanted to write fiction? Yeah. Um, from Ever since I was a kid, I've, I've been a huge reader of fiction and nonfiction and I always wanted to write books from when I was very small. I've, my, my dad writes and 
we've got some good friends of the family who have been writers over the years. So Bryce Courtney is a good mate of my dad's and oh, got really? to spend a little bit of time with him. Yeah. And, and he, um, you know, he gave me some advice. Um, I actually, I, I, I did an interview and wrote a story um, about him after, after he passed away. He was a, was a great guy and he, he did it because he loved it. It was just part of him. And for me, I, in a way, I feel the same that it's just been there for me always. So when I read other people's books, um, my imagination's going wild and, and with their stories and and I knew that I had stories within me I wanted to tell too. So that was from a young age I knew that. Um, I actually had an English teacher. I'll never really forget. I can't, the story I wrote, it wasn't that great, but I wrote this story and I remember this English teacher saying to me, um, Mr. Brennan was his name, and he said, you've got a real knack for description and storytelling. And it just stayed with me. I don't know why, but it did. And I reckon I was about 14 maybe at the time. And then I started trying to write my first book when I was in my late, uh, I was almost around about 20 and it wasn't much good, but there were some chapters in there where I really felt like, oh, hang on, I can do this. And they were the more sort of action and, and I, I guess active chapters where it's more that crime thriller sort of style. And another friend of the family who I got to read, it said that that seems to be your thing. Like that's when this story really came alive. So that stayed with me. So that when I sat down to write another book, of course that book, you know, never saw the light of day. I don't think it was good enough. I made mild attempts to get it published, but then went, hang on, this is, this is very good. Um, practice team practice. That, that's right. And then I started writing another one and started really feeling actually this is the style that I can do. I only got about halfway through that one before I stopped and we started having babies and got a bit busy. But then it was a few years later, I felt like, okay, I know what kind of writer I want to be. I want to, I've come up with this character, John Bailey, in my head. And I sat down. Uh, it was actually lunchtime one day. I'd been working like the clappers and never taking lunch breaks or anything. And I went and sat in a cafe around the corner from the ABC with my iPad and just me. And I thought, well, if I was going to write something, how would it go? I started writing the first page and all I wrote was about 300 words. But that first page that I wrote then was the first page of The Greater Good. Um, and and it stay, it's, it's exactly almost as I wrote it that day in the cafe. But that was 15, 20 years of me thinking and, you know, wanting to be a writer, but I, I figured it out. I knew the kind of writer that I would be, that I wanted to be, and then it's just come out ever since. And, and I, I really love it. I feel lucky I get to do it. Well, keep writing, Tim, because we're luckier for it. Really fantastic books. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Cheryl. It's been a real treat. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. 
everywhere. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.